This episode of the Health Lawyer Podcast is brought to you by Whitehead Legal, who exclusively advise in commercial matters in the healthcare landscape throughout Australia, be it dentists, veterinarians, allied health practitioners, medical practitioners, health entrepreneurs and health corporates. All health practitioners need a good legal team who understand the healthcare landscape. What sets Whitehead Legal apart from other firms is an intangible, the health law intellectual property or health law IP. Because of Whitehead Legal's exclusivity in acting for health practitioners, they understand the process and the critical commercial and operational issues for health practitioners. Their specialization, their exclusivity, their ever-growing health practitioner knowledge bank, their health industry history, their continued collaboration and trust within the commercial health industry are the fundamentals of their key health law IP. Whitehead Legal's observations indicate that many health practitioners are commonly advised by lawyers who may not have the necessary health law IP or fully understand the commercial and intricate and sometimes idiosyncratic nature of health practitioners and their practices. Go to whiteheadlegal.com.au Hi, everybody. Wait a He's just a dentist. Yeah, and you're an anti-dentist. You're a veterinarian? That's right. I myself was a dentist. I was proud to be a dentist. I did not hide the fact that I was a dentist. If we give up our dental plan, I'll have to pay for Lisa's braces. I'll pick a vet over an MD anyway. They gotta be able to cure a lizard, a chicken, a pig, a frog, all on the same... The Health Lawyer Podcast. Julian Whitehead and in this episode I thought we'd go down the line of goodwill protection from a practice owner's perspective. So we're going to go through practice restraints and non-solicitation of patients and employees. Well a major asset of a health practice is the practice owner's valuable goodwill and practice owners need to ensure that their goodwill is protected and owners are entitled to reasonable protection to preserve their goodwill. So the key questions that, that I ask, well, my practice client, practice owner clients, are well, what are your engagement types? Are your associates, say, physios or dentists, are they engaged as employees or contractors? Or are they under, more particularly for dentists, are they under service facility agreements? Have they actually signed the agreement? Are there enforceable practice restraints and non-solicitation clauses defined in the agreement? Does the agreement prevent the unauthorized use, copying or disclosure of your practice's confidential information? How long has your associate been engaged at the practice? Does your associate, dentist, physio, vet have a significant patient base which may seek them, seek to follow them if they decide to leave your practice? So let's get to a common example and that would be your goodwill being under siege. 
So consider the ramifications of your tenure, associate physio, dentist, veterinarian, without a signed agreement, let alone having practice restraints, opening up a clinic or a practice, or joining a rival practice, say 500 metres down the road from yours. Your practice will likely experience significant patient drag as a result of their patients, the, the associate physio veterinarian, their patients, following the associate to the competing practice. This results in a reduction of your practice's goodwill, your patients, and inherent practice value are reduced. You can't copy that physio for a dentist, a chiro, a, a doctor. The common lingo that we hear is, well, practice restraints, they're not enforceable, are they? Well, the view that practice restraints and non-solicitation clauses are unenforceable is simply incorrect. Now, of course, context matters, but they are enforceable if they are appropriately and reasonably considered and drafted. Goodwill, so your practice goodwill, talking to the practice owners out there, it's a legitimate interest for you to protect. So the next question we get is, well, how do you protect your practice goodwill? Well, drafting. Drafting is key and appropriately drafted practice restraints are enforceable. However, the drafting of these needs to take a holistic approach. And as I said before, context matters and they are practice specific drafted. An appropriately drafted and signed agreement means that a practice owner has documented appropriate practice restraints and has made every endeavor to protect their goodwill. With the appropriate drafting, the departing associate veterinarian physio, yada, 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 agrees to be contractually restrained from practicing within the restraint period and distance, which is defined in their agreement, but also not to actively solicit your practice patients or your employees from your practice or misuse your practice-related confidential information. So again, back to the holistic approach, back to the context-specific approach. Well, it's all about reasonableness. What does a reasonable person, and if you're a Victorian listener here, or Melbourne Melbourneian listener, what does a reasonable person sitting on the Sandringham line on the way to, say, Flinders Street Station consider a reasonable restraint? Practice restraints and non-solicitation of patients and employees provisions in agreements must be reasonable to be enforceable by a practice owner. As discussed, the holistic practice specific approach needs to be undertaken to assess whether your drafted restraints are reasonable. So if, if your practice is in, in Richmond, in, in close to Melbourne, we wouldn't recommend you could, but we wouldn't recommend that you insert a practice restraint radial distance of 150 kilometres. Maybe not even 25 kilometres. Maybe only between 5 and 10. For a generalist, 
this there are there are differences for specialists, but we'll just focus on generalists here. However, that twenty-five kilometers, or or, or even one hundred and fifty kilometers, in say Mildura or Broken Hill, could be appropriate if the restraint is not reasonably drafted. So if you put that one fifty kilometer restraint as the principal restraint in Richmond or in Surrey Hills is near Sydney CBD then the practice owner you the practice owner may unfortunately be wide open to sabotage and a weakening or diminution of your valuable goodwill in the event that they that 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 associate started up or moved to a practice close by it's in every practice owner's best interests for their their associate dentists, veterinarians to have proper and enforceable practice restraints in their agreements. And there are certain protections based on implied restraints or restraints based on equitable principles, like common law and fiduciary duties, but for the avoidance of doubt appropriately drafted and reasonable practice restraints and non-solicitation clauses are a must in your written associates agreements. So even with the the importance of the the clause and the restraint actually being reasonable, there's also the critical element of how it's drafted in particular states in Australia. So we'll start off with with a comparison between New South Wales and Victoria. So Victoria don't have the equivalent Restraint of Trade Act that New South Wales do. So the drafting of the of the restraint clause and the the distances and the period of time to upon which you want to restrain someone that needs to be drafted in a manner that is is enforceable. And how is that enforceable? Well, you might see if you've got a, a, an agreement in front of you, you might have run, run and grabbed a copy of your associate's associate dentist's agreement just to just to double check. Remember, this is this isn't legal advice, but you look at the cascading nature of the of the restraint. Is it in a way that allows? A court to read down the period of time and the distance if they if they deem it unenforceable or unreasonable if they deem it reasonable then it's unenforceable so again back to the Richmond example say if it's if 25 kilometers by two years is input and that's it well, if there's a challenge there, it may not hold up because if a court deemed it unreasonable to have a 25-kilometre restraint, let alone two years, but unreasonable to have a 25-kilometre restraint, well, there's nothing else they can read down to. So if you've got in your, in your agreement that there's a 20-kilometre if 25 is deemed unreasonable, and then underneath that, a 15 kilometer, and then underneath that, 10 to 5 to 2. A court will deem the lower, may deem the lower 
kilometer as kilometer distance, say five kilometers, as reasonable. Strike out the the other the twenty five kilometers. Strike out the twenty down to fifteen ten, and may find yeah five kilometers reasonable. And then you look at the New South Wales uh, side of side of the the restraints, and then yeah they have their their Restraints of Trade Act, which means this, the drafting is slightly different. It doesn't need to be a it's helpful. It doesn't need to be a, a, a cascading waterfall clause in there showing different different kilometers to read down because that that act gives the gives the course the power to to um, find a reasonable distance if it's not defined queensland south australia that there's there's slight differences in if compared to victoria and new south wales some require cascading clauses others others don't for enforceability purposes so again, it's tricky when you when you're in different states, you're looking at different agreements. You might have received a, a an agreement uh, from from if you're if you've engaged a firm or if your your accountants handed handed you a, a contact for a firm that's not in your state. They give you an agreement that's tailored towards their state. Yeah, you've just got to be got to be careful because. There's no there's no commonality in Australia that the the the, the 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 states have different enforceability provisions. So this this episode's been ta- tailored towards more of a practice owner's purview with a bit of a legal flair on on the restraints of trade for their their professional staff. But I also want to briefly touch on the the weight that is placed on vendors who sell their practices who are restrained but then breach the <laughs> practice restraints so there's far greater weight placed on a vendor who has signed an agreement to be rest- and including a, a reasonable practice restraint and that if they say they say it's five kilometers away from well, let's touch on Frankston. <laughs> If it's five kilometers away from Frankston, the practice that the vendor has is consulting at after they sell the practice within the restraint period, and you res- and the vendor is restrained for say fifteen kilometers. So you you're well in the restraint distance. The vendor's well in the restraint distance. Well, there's there's much more much more impetus placed on the amount that your per- that the purchaser has paid for the practice and the goodwill that is associated with the vendor if they were to breach that so in short I will go into this this very expansive and yeah immense uh, topic of vendor practice restraints when after after they sell their practice but in short, it's it is that they are enforceable, and they are they are there is much more weight placed on on infor- on making sure that those clauses are enforceable purely because the purchasers purchase likely paid a considerable amount of money, to and there is a protection there that they that is only fair and equitable that is complied by. So this episode has 
in brief, this episode has essentially scared all you practice owners in, uh, into getting your associates signed up. Don't be scared. It's not. Uh, it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> we want just to make sure make sure that you're aware of these. I mean, not every associate's going to open up a practice 500 meters down the road, but it can happen. That does happen. We've seen it before. Uh, it could be one in a hundred. You don't want to be that one in a hundred, though. These these documents they're not they're not overly um, they're not uh, intense documents. The most associate dentists or vets they they they're used to receiving documentation. It's, it's it's just how things are these days. Handshake agreements aren't aren't really done as much as they were. And and you know if you want if you're wanting to sell in a few years, well. We'll get onto the, the the importance of having a practice sale ready package. I can tell you that if you're thinking of selling in say two or three years, it's best to get your your professional staff signed up with enforceable practice restraints now because a prudent purchaser will look at your package if you don't have a sale so if you don't have a signed agreement. Uh, if you're if uh, if you're looking at selling in a couple of months they'll look at your package and go well they're a threat because they're not signed again one in a, one in a thousand one in a hundred they will actually join a rival but it happens so these just things to consider that when you do have uh, have time to look at your look at your model look at your practice how how are you documented how your practice professional staff documented are they documented we hope they are if they're not well you know what to do i'm julian whitehead and thank you for listening everyone